0: We have a weekly staff meeting here at Stereo Embers, the podcast. By the way, hello. How are you? Thanks for being here. Uh, Great show for you today. We'll get to it in a second. But first, a little uh, insight on our weekly staff meetings. We get together, all 15 of us, around the table, and we talk about the important matters facing the podcast businessy stuff, like who's being booked on the show, or who are we trying to book on the show, or who's confirmed. They're booking on the show, that kind of thing. Also, social media stuff, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. How are we doing? How are we performing? We're doing okay, by the way. Not as well as the Labradoodle across the street, though. That guy has 9 million followers on Instagram. (laughs) Look, I'm not getting into that. That drives me insane. He's cute. Yes, he's very cute. 9 million followers? I mean, good God. Yeah, of course he's he is insanely cute. I'm fine publicly admitting that, but when a labradoodle gets more attention than my David Duchovny interview, well, you know I start to ask questions. But back to our staff meeting. So at every staff meeting, I always drink tea. It's just a little something I do, and I use a White Snake mug. I'm not a White Snake fan, but I used to work at a metal radio station back in the '80s, and they gave me as a promo item a White Snake mug it says slide it in on the mug, which is probably inappropriate. But I always tell my staff when they complain that the mug is horrible, that I'm drinking out of it ironically. And every week they have a comment about it. Oh my God, why are you using that mug? That mug is offensive. It's terrible. Why do you have it? It's stupid. Get rid of it. We should all get new mugs. Can't you do any better? (laughs) I mean, this has been going on for like months, months. And so I tell them, I'm drinking out of it ironically. I don't really earnestly sip tea from a white snake mug that says slide it in on it. The other day, I was like, Don't you know me well enough to know that I wouldn't drink sincerely out of a white snake mug? And they were like, We don't know you that well. <laughs> so it got a little bit weird. Anyway, today, the white snake mug, right before the meeting, I was gonna fill it with tea. And guess what? It's gone. The white snake mug is gone. Somebody stole it. Clearly, it's a staff member because this subject has come up ad nauseum. It never doesn't come up. It's always being talked about, and now it's gone. So clearly, my mug has been stolen by somebody on my staff. Who? It doesn't matter. But then, right before this show, I got a note and it said, We have your white snake mug. We've stolen it, ironically. So it's been confirmed. They do have the mug. Uh, They've stolen it, ironically. Great. When will I get it back? I don't know. But until that mug shows up again, maybe I'll pay them, ironically. Maybe we'll go that direction. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Of my guest today on the program Robin Guthrie Let me tell you a little bit About Robin Guthrie I don't know if you've noticed this But sometimes people say the same things about a person Because they're true For example, Bowie was always described As being mercurial Why? Because he was The word intensity always comes up When discussing the work of Daniel Day-Lewis For the exact same reason When it comes to explaining the sounds that come from Robin Guthrie's guitar, critics and fans, including myself, tend to immediately go to the term ethereal as a default descriptor of the Scottish-born musician. And to be fair, ethereal isn't really far off the mark, because Guthrie's playing is indeed perfect in a way that seems not of this world. But it also might be a lazy way of saying that he sounds like nobody else who's ever picked up the guitar— But that might be a lazy way of saying that his sound is ethereal and heavenly and otherworldly. You see the problem. The fact is, Robin Guthrie is a master craftsman whose notes swirl and sting and float and churn. It's magical playing, and that's all there is to it. Whether you're a fan of the Cocteau Twins or his work with Harold Budd or his band Violet Indiana or his arresting solo albums, across the board you'll find that Guthrie is a staggering player. And he's an intuitive producer, sitting behind the board for everyone from Felt to the Gun Club to Lush. Guthrie's new album, Pearl Diving, is a stone-cold stunner, and his new EPs, Riviera and Springtime, are equally brilliant. Springtime is the newest one, and it's a rich and textured affair that rolls with a soothing majesty. The compositions are luxuriant soundscapes that summon the season with poetic finesse. When it comes to talking about Robin Guthrie, I could go on and on. And yeah, after a while, I'd probably use the word ethereal. So I'm going to stop myself here and get right to it. Here's me and Robin Guthrie having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
1: have a full-time job if I I had to police the internet about all the garbage that's written about me but uh, in terms of like I just don't mean that in a bad way I just mean as in inaccuracies you know especially on a platform like wiki where people can just change it to however to whatever history sort of suits them or to however oh this this must be true because I read it I I remember reading it in an interview in 1983 so it must be true we'll put it in wikipedia and it's like uh yeah but uh, i'm not going to start going down that road because that's a bit of a rabbit hole if you get me on that so. well it's i
0: i wonder are you are you the kind of person that you can wake up in the morning and get to work can you start creating or does it or does it take a while to kind of
1: acclimate no have we started yet by the way we have. We're on. We're doing it. You have started yet. Okay. Ask me that question again then. Okay, uh, in the morning, which is
0: morning over there, can you just get going and be creative, or do you need to take a little time before you before you start working?
1: I can if it uh, if it's in the calendar. Basically, if I know that I've got like okay, I've got a, I've got a busy week, but I've got four hours on Tuesday morning you know, I just go to bed with that in my head and I I can actually get up and, uh, you know, I do myself incredibly, my inspirational moments are not necessarily tied into the actual physical nuts and bolts of recording and uh, being in the studio. I can have my inspirational moments anywhere when I travel with a laptop or something like that, and I can get the genesis of something. But, you know, often I do remixes and reworkings of things for people, and these are long hours because, you know, (laughs) gone are the days that people send you, like, a, a, a tape with, like, eight tracks on it to remix. They send you 96 tracks of, basically, guitar sometimes, you know, uh, the, the band who sent me 96 tracks recently know who they are, <laughs> you know. Uh, no, so there's a lot of, uh, before you can get creative for that, there's a lot of uh, just housekeeping to do, you know, to, to arrange working with something like that. And, you know, as I've taken, you know, more of a, I don't know, just a hands-on approach, I like, the, I think, I'm just, I'll just dive about here a bit, but I get... Yes, I'm busy doing music at the moment because I've uh, uh, why am I busy doing music because I've found that there are there's an alternative way to actually get music out to the public and in a fairly instantaneous way. Now I'm very old school, so I'm used to sort of making a record and having to wait for six months for it to come out because of the record company, because of the publisher, because of the promo, because of the lead times for press and shit like that. it's just like, I, I, I'm on the clock here, I'm 59 years old, if I've got to wait six months to put every fucking record out, you know, uh, we know what happens there, you know, so, you uh, know, I just thought, well, you know, using Bandcamp, uh, initially, I uh, looked at, was sort of like a little add-on to my website, because I already had a website where I sold CDs and things, but I like, kind of quite like the community part there, and the fact is that I can you know, I've not done this yet, but my intentions are to sort of get up in the morning and record a new song and post it in the evening, for instance, you know, just to see if I can do it, <laughs> you know, just to try something different. It's like, I'm not, you know, I'm starting to be able to travel and work elsewhere again, but, you know, for a couple of years I've been, you know, sort of fairly in the one place, which has already been, a, that, that in itself is a, a new experience for writing uh, an album. Uh, because I usually go elsewhere to sort of write and create. I mean, if that elsewhere could be, it could be a hotel room with a laptop, or it could be the back of a camper van with a laptop, <laughs> you know, and a guitar, you know, or it could be going to a really nice studio somewhere, or, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways that I can uh, influence uh, myself, you know. But this during during this pandemic, it's just really been. I've been in this room here that you can see my workroom behind, and uh, that's oh, yeah. where I've been. You know, just doing it. But you know, my head is just full of, you know, it's overloaded with, you know, things that are interesting. I've got notebooks everywhere, and you know, uh, very much use you know, language as well. And we have been, you know, uh, as as I probably mentioned elsewhere, you know, I'm not, and really haven't been, <laughs> i spent the most of my life not being a huge music fan or music follower. Uh, you know, certainly in my formative years when I was a teenager I was, but you know, then, you know, several years in the music industry and in the environment of, you know, how that whole machine works is enough to put you off. You know, and to, specifically, I mean, you spend all day in the studio, you don't want to come home and listen to music. <laughs> right. uh, I've taken that a little bit further because I just sort of, I always I get to the point where, you know, there's a sort of lazy thing in music journalism where everybody needs to tag you with, oh, it's like that, or, oh, it's like that. Yeah. Uh, I, as a younger man, you know, uh I just took that as if to say, oh, you think I'm copying them? You know, you, do, you know, so it's like, oh, I'm not listening to that. I do, and I don't listen to these things, you know, but it's it's just a convenient way for people to reference things. But I used to take it personally because I couldn't see beyond. <laughs> that. So, you know, I kind of, you know, I have always had a problem telling you where this music that I make comes from, you know, in terms of... Uh, musical you know bands or sort of artists or anything like that and I haven't really sort of got an answer for that yet uh except to say that I just you know my all my influence and my input comes from other places you know it comes from books it comes from travel it comes from you know uh just different disciplines of of the media things that are interesting to me uh Music has got its place in my life, other people's music. Uh, it's mostly strictly Friday night in the kitchen, you know, end of the week making a nice meal for everyone with some jazz on in the background or something like that. But but that's just, you know, there's music in the car, there's music everywhere when you go to the store. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually following bands and taking out their records and or, or waiting until they have a new one and being a sort of dedicated fan, which... It's kind of unfair because there's an awful lot of people like that with me. That you know, when I put something out, they just get it straight away, and then they give me lots of positive feedback. And so I feel a bit like a double standard. But that helps me to create the music that I make. It's sort of not being polluted by who, what the new sort of genre is, or what the new sort of this that is. Because quite frankly, I don't give a damn, as they say. You know, it's just, I don't. It's like I, I don't understand it. So why would I try to emulate it? you know. Uh, right. Right. And also it,
0: it sort of not knowing where it comes from seems like
1: it seems healthy not to know. I don't think you have to. I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. But sometimes I feel like I need to defend that, you know, because so it can you know, there's a few jaws drop when I, when I, when people ask me what my favorite record was this year. And I'm like, well, mine. <laughs> I don't really, I am not really <laughs> listen to any other ones. So I don't know, you know, uh, you know, so that's just the way that that is, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I mean,
0: I imagine if you weren't paying attention to your contemporaries, it probably also removed, uh, you know, competition in your in your own head. Like you have enough to worry about competing with yourself than having to worry about what another band is doing.
1: Yeah, well, you know what, I mean, this is forty years of making records, so uh, yeah, I can hand on heart, when I was a younger man, I was very, very insecure and I was really, really needing to get affirmation because I just thought I had this, you know, I had a a certain hubris that, uh, you know, I just really believed that I was creating something really special. Right. And, you know, when, when those people that you get surrounded with are blowing smoke up your ass, telling you where as well, there's no chance to be, you know, kind of, uh, level-headed about that you just think that you are and again then you know sort of several decades pass and you sort of mellow a little bit and you start to realize you don't really have anything to prove and uh you know i don't know i mean it's just like the relationship between me now and me then it's like oh it's just evolution you know other people i mean i don't know how old you are but if somebody was to, to start to judge you by what you did when you were a 15 year old kid like publicly, Yeah, uh. <laughs> it's like, is it possible that you were an asshole when you were 19 because you did this, this, or this, you know? Very possible, yet, Robin. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, but it gets hidden by time, doesn't it? And unfortunately, the ongoing uh, resurgence of, uh, resurgence of popularity with, with my old band, it's like, it keeps it there in the, uh, in the inbox, and you know, that's that can be a bit of a, a burden sometimes, you
0: know. Were you pretty good at receiving compliments? Like you were talking about affirmation. I've always been really uncomfortable. Absolutely
1: by not. Yeah. Absolutely not. Right, I mean, right. You know, but, but no, I mean, this is, again, I'm talking about the younger, I'm talking about 22-year-old Robin, right? They could, terrible at receiving compliments, but, Even worse if I didn't get them, (laughs) right? You know what I mean. You know it's it's just it's a maturity thing, and it's a, uh, you know. If you consider that when I started, you know our main plan was to make a record. That was the life plan. That was the bucket list. At nineteen, the bucket list was make 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 a record. Nothing else after that was taken into consideration. So yeah, check you know yeah yeah you did it uh yeah.
0: it's it's amazing to think you had yourself yeah. in place right where you you needed affirmation but you didn't even know what to do with it when you got it
1: exactly oh look at the floor be really uncomfortable be embarrassed you know and it didn't help that uh elizabeth and i were uh, or are both painfully like shy and reluctant to uh just well, I, you know, this is 40 years of practice, it's getting me to speak to you now. But I've always found this relatively difficult. Uh especially when, you know, at a certain point the journalists would come into uh interview situations with us with they've already written the interview because they got their own preconceptions of us based upon the music that we make and not you know, and we're just like Two wee Scottish kids talking like that, Ken, because we come from Scotland and that. And uh, first of all, they just don't understand it, or the or the English ones would transcribe it with, okay, oh, the new Jimmy kind of really sort of patronising sort of uh, language, you know. So any, you know, uh, any r- realistic, all of our really true answers that were very very honest were just swept to the side, because it didn't fit the the uh the established sort of uh truth about my band you know that we're all fucking ethereal and fucking you know ooh, voice of god and fucking all this okay sort of and it's like well that these these are kind of, <laughs> i i was quite comfortable with that sort of thing at the time because well i i, I would be more like, oh yeah people get it then you know because i just thought we are fucking great you know and I don't know if it's my Scottish upbringing, working class upbringing, but it was kind of like there was only if it's kind of binary, you know. It's like if we're great, then everyone else must be shit, All right, <laughs> and this is this is true. I'm being serious. That was the you know, or if we liked a band and they were really good, you know, then we thought we were shit. Got to try harder, you know. And of course, we did like bands, so it was like, uh, you know, but, you know, basically, I mean, from quite an early time, there was a mid period and late period, if we got to it, but there was an awful lot of outside influence uh, and, you know, meddlesome people and record companies and management and people that wanted to have their little bite off it. And ultimately, that's what, you know, crushed it, really. uh, But I think it's fair to say that, you know, uh, when we extracted ourselves from that, uh, I mean, we used to leave, we didn't live in London, we sort of used to get the bus down to London and sleep on people's floors. It was very, uh, just, you know, (laughs) don't know any young people that do that now, but that's what we did there at different times. Uh, It it, it was, we, we still used to take ourselves away to you know, to studios in Scotland and studios elsewhere to get away from like London and stuff in order to get a bit of headspace to do what we're doing. Did the did the advent
0: of videos that whole medium for someone who was shy? Were you Ooh. like, oh fuck, now I have to do these things?
1: We well, as you can see from the the uh, scarcity of uh, videos that we made, it was like a, uh, we were incredibly reluctant to do so. If you. Take your mind back, I think you're old enough to remember that MTV was a sort of platform for, you know, bands who had videos made by aspiring movie directors right. or or directors who did commercials, you know. And there was a lot of acting of stories and things in the, in the in, uh, post-Video Killed Radio style, you know, each little pop video was like, you know, the, the guys in the bands were having to act and dress up and, you know, <laughs> not fucking having that at all. So yeah, we just kind of basically refused, and we did a few video things. And the only uh, we said, well, if we can perform in them, then at least it's you know you're not going to get flavored by some d- random director who we don't know superimposing a story board onto our song, you know, thereby implying that we sort of condone that story and that's what the song's about. So, no, we just, no, but I don't know, I mean, there's, well, it's, uh, you know, uh, I have to say that, you know, playing live and making videos was never uh, the fun part. There's fantastically fun parts of playing live, you know, going going on travelling and going to nicer hotels and sort of, you know, <laughs> people sort of, you know, appreciating what you're doing, but there's some terrible parts as well because it's quite complicated, you know, and it's, uh, it's uh yeah i think earlier it was easy to play live because we didn't think through all the possibilities of what could go wrong and then gradually you get to realize all the things that could go wrong takes years (laughs) yeah yeah
0: well it's remarkable to me to think about like i mean nobody in your band was david lee roth but you it's a bunch of introverts on on a stage doing something which is performative um, which hmm. just seems so ironic, right? that that be-
1: uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. but we didn't really see it that way at that point. I don't think. Uh, we knew that we were not, you know, me, 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 look at me. We were quite introspective. It was like whenever we were doing sound and the guy with the lights was like putting lights on me, I'd, I'd be like, you know, the spotlight thing would come over and I would move out the way of it, you know? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. You know, that, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I'll do the opposite now because I can't see my fucking guitar anymore when I'm on a stage. So <laughs> but, I put a light on it, I can't even see my fingers, you know? <laughs> yeah. How yeah. has
0: your, your relationship to the guitar, how has it changed um, over the last 40 years? Like, how... What is the relationship like? Does it does it feel the same, or ha- does it feel like it's deepened?
1: I don't know. I've never been asked that question before, and I don't have a an instant reply. Really, uh, it's kind of love and hate. It's something that I I think I find a very very expressive instrument. Uh, if you consider that I've been making music, you know, which <laughs> which. Uh, people like yourselves will, say, will call it my solo music, but I actually just call it my music because I'm not in a band, right? Uh, I, I it's, yeah, it's a sort of love, hate. It's, it's, it's the most expressive way of me finding my voice. You know, human voice is obviously very identifiable, and it's not easy to emulate at all. Uh, guitar sounds in the last few years have become completely... Totally easy to emulate. You only need a couple of thirty dollar pedals and a computer or whatever. And you can you can fairly much do me. But except you can't because you don't play the way that I do People that try to do me know too much about music. You know, they're actually their their accomplishment as musicians is far too high. So they cut they approach the instrument in a different way. I approach the instrument in a way that kind of works for me. Uh perhaps the same way a a vocalist would approach, you know, singing and the the way they use the throat and things like that. It's, I have a very, very different touch uh, and a very, very different, I'm looking at the guitar here, that's why. (laughs) It's like, uh, I'm looking at this thing, yeah, I I sort of treat this thing in a different way from your regular guitar player who sort of bashes away at it and, you know, uh, so yeah, no, that's that's what I do. But I also play the bass. I play the drums. I play piano. It's like uh, and all of them, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> all of them with a shocking lack of uh, 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 traditional music skills. You know, and uh, you know, one could say. I mean, it could be uh, this. No, there's more to me playing guitar than that, but in some ways it's like having a mouse on a computer. It's like an input device. It's a way that, you know, if you're you're writing a letter, you need a keyboard to input the data that you want to put in there. Right. And when I'm working guitar sounds with effects and things like that, I just really am playing the effects more than playing the guitar. All right. And it's, you know, it's it's Something I've said before, but I can't actually play guitar of like other people's music or different genres. I can't do that. Uh, I never, you know, as a, as a sort of 16 or 17 year old, I tried to, and my, my sort of buddies at the time that were all the same age trying to play guitar, they, they all nailed it, you know. They were all playing like Jim Hendrix and shit. <laughs> and I was like, I can't do this. I'm going to have to be a drummer or something. And I said, I can't do this. I can't really do that. I... <laughs> it's like you know, so it's, uh, yeah, I couldn't really wanted to be in a band for because, you know, at that time, music fan and just really into it and thought this is a great thing to do. And, you know, immediately taking that uh, lack of traditional music skills but applying what I did, skills I did have, you know, of what taste I did have, you know, started to use effects pedals that I could get my hands on or build or whatever, and because like I really wanted to be in that band, you know, so it's like, <laughs> I've got to find something that I can do, you know, and that's something that I can do is what I still do, so that's the relationship.
0: Of, of know, all those instruments that you mentioned, which one do you think that you swing the freest on? Like, which one do you think you can, is it, is, I, I was guessing it might be drums.
1: Drums? No, I'm good, I can, I can play drums, but I can't play drums for three and a half minutes in a song, because I just sort of you know, start to fail because I'm not an accomplished drummer. And most of the drummers I've had the opportunity to work with, especially recently, are just like, you know, the proper drummers. I came from a drum machine background. I kind of, you know, I think I knew how to put beats together, but I, on a physical, you know, playing level, I didn't have those sort of skills at all. I used to, you know, annoy people at soundchecks by having a show on the drums. That would get everybody to leave. <laughs> But I mean, the, essentially, it's like, that's how you know how the beats work. You know, it's a physical thing. And, uh, yeah, so now I feel like bass probably because bass has been my, you know, uh, I was influenced by Will Hagey, uh, Cutter's first bass player. When he left the band, I was like, oh, shit, I gonna have to play bass now. And it's just like well what did did Bill do? uh, Bill would bang away doing chords and things like that so I'm like that's what I'm going to do then and that's where my uh, foundation and skills come from really just starting like that uh, you know the, the two chords thing the chorus thing the you know using it as a melodic sort of thing I think yeah he influenced me because That was, you know, I hadn't really thought about listening to a bass player before. So that was, and I was a guitar player, so I started play guitar.
0: You were mentioning the love-hate part of playing guitar. The love part, intuitively, I think I understand what you mean.
1: What about, what about the hate? What do you mean specifically? Uh, Just too many variables. (laughs) Too many, too many things can go wrong. You know, I've just spent enough time, I've spent enough time on stage in my life. uh, I can put a full stop at the end of that, you know what I mean? But no, but I've, I just realized that, especially in the last 10 years, 15 years, when I've been going out there trying to create some very, very complex music, just using me, a guitar, a, a looper, a drummer, and a bass player, right, and a computer to control all the effects. So this it was my sort of thing that I was doing uh, when I play, I do live looping, but I have it all. It's not me that presses the buttons on the floor. I just get the computer to tell it when to record, when to not record. Right? But then I need to make these incredibly long sixteen-bar loops. Now, (laughs) if you're doing it and you like make a wrong note, you're going to hear it another five or six times in the song. So it's like, ah. Uh, But you know, that way, if I use the computer to make the length of the loops, I don't know if this makes sense to you. Then. I can play at the same tempo all the way through the song and therefore I can build up all the effect and, and make it sound like me with the delays that are all perfectly synchronized. If I can't have synchronization like that, I don't really sound like me because contrary to what some people think, I don't just sort of stick it through a big reverb and that's it. You know, it's it's not, it's a bit more, uh, it's a bit more mathematical than that sometimes, you know, working at, at working out how many milliseconds the delays should be, you know, if I'm I'm playing at a certain tempo uh, Mm. and making all that happen uh, so that I don't, so that it sounds like there's three guitars playing at the same time, but really it's just me holding one note sort of thing. You know, there's lots of that stuff. Smoke and mirrors. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, uh, but then that's, again, that's my way of coping with never really I make it sound negative when I'm coping with not being able to play the guitar properly. That allows me to play the guitar with a different, a different way to other people playing it, I guess.
0: Are there days where, where you play and you go, I just don't have it today. Like, today is a day, I just, I shouldn't be doing this. I just don't have any flow.
1: No, nah, not really. You know, what I do is I work on a lot of music in parallel. So if I feel that I'm not finding something for one song, I just start working on another song. Okay. studio is not really anywhere that I believe is worth spending a single minute in being negative. You know, so... You know, I've, I've witnessed, you know, when I've been producing bands and things, you get these, uh, you know, this dispute between the bass player and the drummer or, about, or between the band and the, the vocalist who wants the vocal, and all this sort of negativity going around. And, you know, I just tried to manage the session by getting the guys to focus on something else. Uh, let's stay in, in you yeah, know, this is a creative place, so why they bicker with each other? And, you know, it's, you know that's kind of a, yeah, that's a sort of, ingrained philosophy about studio for me it's a very you kind know, of positive so if it ain't working just go and do something else or if it's that piece of music's not working go and do something else
0: yeah when you make your own music is do you feel a kind of phantom limb from not being in a band i mean when you're doing stuff it's just it's your music it's just you um Mm -hmm. is there that sort of like the absence of a band or or that sort of democracy of creativity do you do you kind of like that or just you don't have you don't feel that
1: i've never been in a band with democracy of creativity no you know i've been in a band where i sat in the producer's chair and i made this all happen other people contributed but i made that happen so i don't know that and i would say that in many ways it's you know, it's, of course, it's a different, uh, it's a different end result, you know, because when you work with uh, the people you have input, which is really sort of, uh, you know, precious as well, you know, but my process of doing what I'm doing is really, well, I would say that I started being like this really early, 1983, Head Over Heels, which was the first record that I, you know, uh, was able to get my hands on and actually play with. And I would say that it's just one constant, you know, uh, lineage since then for me. You know, I don't see my uh, music as incomplete because it doesn't have a vocalist on it or doesn't have other people performing on it at all. And it's not, it's it's shockingly not new for me to be in the studio on my own doing things. It's business Absolutely. as usual, yeah pretty much yeah i
0: um I love the new album, and i and I it, what I love so much about it is that it feels so specifically the way it's sequenced, like it really feels like there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And mm. I'm such a lyrically based person that for me to say that, <laughs> it's like yeah. I mean, I really picked up on this kind of thematic feel. It's just sequenced perfectly to my to my Thank ear. You. You know? Thank you.
1: That's, that's one of the more challenging parts in what I do. And I think I became aware of sequencing records You know, in the 80s when there was vinyl, there was only vinyl or cassette. So you had this idea of side one, side two. So I would have to sort of sequence the, you know, I guess when we were in the studio, we could be playing things and go, yeah, this would make a great last track or something like that. You know, uh, but you got to do last track of side one. You've got to deliver something there that's going to make you want to big side two on. It's going to make you want to turn over. But also the constraints of vinyl meant, well, we can't have something that's too, like, quiet or pristine because it's going to sound shit as well. Mm. The closer you get to the centre of the disc, the more distorted it is. So there's lots of parameters. And then when CD came along. You know, uh, vinyl was still what we were making records for because CD was a sort of side thing. It was a new thing. So for uh, Bluebell, Rolling Head Over Heels, they were still sequenced with a vinyl sensibility. Uh, I sequence different now. You know, uh, I think it's a really, really important part of the process, uh, especially for instrumental music, because you don't have the obvious clues of the singer banging down, you know, sort of like you know, putting all this stuff out there, you know, for you to follow. It's it's a little bit more subtle than that, but. Uh, but definitely was the reward, you know, uh, of 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 putting your head into it, you know. Uh, and yeah, I didn't, I'd struggled a little bit with Pearl Riding. When I made Mockingbird Love, I had that just nailed straight away. <laughs> this is, the, they live together, that's right, and this is the way it's going to go. I finished that in like May, I didn't put it out till October because, you know, I hadn't really thought through the, uh, uh, am I going to work with a record company? Am I going to just call up a factory and see if they can make CDs? And it's like, oh, how do you do that? Uh, okay, right, I'll try. You know, so there's a wee bit of fanning about that. All the time I was just making the album. So, you know, I got, uh, I just started to make an album and I started to have an excess of uh, tunes. So I was able to cherry-pick the things that I wanted to be on parallel diving just to get it just right, in terms of the sequencing, you know, and uh, other 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 little selections will be coming out soon. There's another one in December, and there's another one in January, and I'm working for the uh, uh, next thing after that. <laughs> so, you know, it's suddenly, I don't know if there's any sort of nostalgia for the 1980s, which I have to say I've really not got. There is that idea that you know bands used to put out a lot more records more often. You know, we would put out three three records a year when we were a baby band, you know, and that's and it's way more easy to do that now. It's I, interesting I, I making records. I hadn't been making records for a well, while, I've been recording a lot of music, but not having the uh, Not having these, what's the word? Uh, It's a difficult thing to say why I haven't put any records out over the last few years. I was getting a wee bit fed up with indifference, really. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's just like, I I do put my heart and soul into these things, but if you don't really get much feedback because you're not getting any, you know, uh, Connection with your fans, perhaps, or you know, you know, favorable things in media or anything like that. So, oh, I just gotta do all that. I just put a year of my life into that, and that, you know. And I'm just I felt like, fuck that. There's more things to do. So I went. Off and took photographs for like three years, and uh, did a lot of my garden. Got myself a dog. You know, uh, <laughs> basically just went fit, and started to enjoy life. Uh, slightly away from that. Uh, you know, uh, carousel of, you know, making a record, going on tour, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and found out there was a whole lot of things out there that really uh, floated my boat in terms of way to pass my time, you know. Uh, but, you know, dedicating a few years to, like, analogue photography and big, big old cameras, you know, you stick your head in the back under a thing and just doing a completely dis- different discipline of creative stuff. And doing it with a modicum of knowledge, but, you know, you know, no expertise perhaps, but with a modicum of knowledge, you know, uh, talking to old people uh, who used to have to, you know, it's like, what are your tips for, you know, developing film? Or what are your tips for printing? How you, you know, I, knew, uh, I know somebody, you know, uh, my father-in-law who, Every time I would try to make a print in the in the dark room, it would come out not how I wanted. And he would just come along and wave a couple of fingers around and make the most beautiful print, just straight off. And it's just like, How do you do that? And he's like, Well, maybe uh, I was a photographer for 50 years and I went to film school for like seven years. Uh, oh, okay, that would do- <laughs> that that that'll, that'll be why then, you know. And I'm just there going, Yeah, I'll have a go, I can do that. It's like, okay, yeah. So you know, just you know, it gives, gives me a lot of time just to appreciate you know that the the, uh, the creative flow, as it were, that you know what comes out of me, whether it's doing my artwork for my records or whether it's making the records, anything like that. It's really important that you don't. I don't break the flow. That I still do something creative, whether it's like you know you know remodeling my house or you know you just like hands-on stuff and getting something done the idea that something exists at the end of the day that didn't exist in the morning is just ingrained into me you know uh whereas you know an awful lot of people go through life in service for instance they have a job they're doing something they don't actually create anything you know and and they seem to be fine with that i'm not saying that that's it's just for me that doesn't really work for me i can be really frustrated when i have to do two or three days of like email answering people like yourself you know Because like can we arrange this talk and it's like oh fucking email <laughs> you know and it's just like, like you why know, can't just call me you know what i mean it's just like because like, things like that don't really uh don't float my boat you know we all have Things uh, this I can do cooking fantastic creative creative outlet, you know answering email not so, <laughs> you know, that's uh, yeah or oh, social media is a is a chore at best for me uh, yeah you know I you know just almost to the point of being yeah, a wee bit resentful because. I was on the internet when there was only like six of us on the planet. Do you know what I mean? It was like the old days before the before the internet got democratised and it was, it was a nerdy, geeky thing. I loved that. <laughs> that was so cool. And now uh, that's not a thing anymore. So I feel out of water with that. And, no. you know, never, be, never being the most sociable of person. It's just like, well, you know, I can't see the value in posting my lunch online. I really think it's a waste of fucking time. So... But, you know, got to of what people do. And you know what? People hear about my records this way, and that's great, that's great. But it is like pulling teeth when I make a post. <laughs> it's really... I, just I look. I look at the little box for about half an hour and go, what the fuck am I going to write? You know what I mean? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it's but, yeah.
0: like I, I love doing the podcast, but promoting the podcast is a whole other yeah. job, which I I think yeah. I'm not yeah. very good at, you know?
1: um yeah well that's we've got that in common then
0: yeah I will say that you you mentioned getting a dog when I was taking care of my friend's dog for a month I'm a writer I would take the dog for a walk Robin and my brain totally Mm. got wired a totally different way where I was like thinking about things I hadn't thought about before for my work I don't know if you
1: found walking the dog to be a good
0: place absolutely
1: yeah yeah this is uh yeah, my wife, uh, the family's always had dogs, but basically the, my wife has always been more of the dog care. And uh, after the last one of our dogs died, I just found, I'd, I'd, I'd moved into that sort of thing where I walk the dog at least once a day because exactly for what you just said, because it's like a little space. it's different. I can go out and talk to the dog and the dog's not going to fucking shit talk me back. You know, that's, this is really good. You know, I've got children, so you know it's a nice change from that uh and uh yeah it's just that's good so after the dog died i waited a couple of months and then i i've got my i got a dog i just admit just decided you know what i'm gonna get a dog because that would just give me more things to be responsible for As my kids have left home <laughs> you know filling the filling the empty nest with a dog hope my kids don't listen to this <laughs> yeah but there you go <laughs> but there you go
0: no, I get it. I totally get it. No. I, I, for for you during the pandemic when you were, did you find it to be a particularly fertile time for you? Or was it
1: just business as usual? It's the same stuff as always? No, no, no. I, I didn't really consider sort of like using this time to make music uh, until we're about a year into the pandemic. It was really after we lost Harold that I decided to uh, I got to just do something now, you know. It's like I—I uh, I don't know. Maybe I just felt like, yes, you know, sort of wake-up call for me in my life as well. The fact that uh, you're not here forever, you know. And it's just like, well, I've got a lot of stuff going on here. I can do this. Why not? Uh, so yeah, the first year of the pandemic, I my garden was fantastic. I was, growing lots of things and and doing things I've never done before. I was just like uh, one step ahead of the seasons by going on YouTube, you know. (laughs) You know, it's like, why are my potatoes, you know, uh, getting all green and shit like that? (laughs) You know, know, there's lots of things to learn in life that perhaps as a sort of very, very sheltered uh, musician, artist, between the ages of sort of 19 and 31, 32, you know, I had no clue about it because our lives from when we were very young were sort of like managed and sort of looked after by other people. You know, all the sort of huge responsibilities that people have in their lives in their early twenties, whether they're setting up home or starting a family and things like that. We didn't have anything like that because those people around us just taking care of everything. You know, it's like keep us in the studio, keep us on the road or whatever, but... You know, heaven forbid, we actually evolve and develop as human beings and uh, grow up. So, yeah, I guess in my thirties, it was time to start to grow up. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, that was that was uh, that's just it's easy with hindsight to look back and see that that's how it was. You know, uh, with hindsight, I could now clearly look back and say when. When I went to make garlands, it was like I was completely in survival mode as a a person because I'd just lost my father uh, in September. I went off to make garlands about six weeks later, you know, and I just, you know, I just wasn't there. You know, I never really got to grieve that. It was only as an adult that you can go back and look at that stuff and go, This is why I was a bit on one, I think, you know? (laughs) This is, you know, part of the motivation as well, you know, the energy. Uh, Elizabeth was disaffected with her family of origin stuff. We were like, you know, two little peas in a pod, sort of thing, taking on the world uh, together. So yeah, it's less less, uh, difficult to understand with, you know, 40 years, you know, looking back and seeing, you know, you know, people that lose their father when they're a teenager it's like that can have a deep effect on you and yet you know for the longest of times I never really recognized that but uh, so yeah this sort of looking back to these sort of things you can see yeah we can you can see patterns
0: did the the loss of Harold make you pretty philosophical about your own work I and mean, that's I mean he such a Massive loss, but I mean, you know, it, you and I are, are around the same age, and I, I feel for myself as a writer, I feel like, you know, I have a lot more road behind me than I do in front of me, and when, when you know, when I lose people, I, it's like a sobering reminder of like, get the work done, get the work done, get the work done.
1: Yeah, there's a, set, there's a certain amount of that, but I mean, I just sort of our relationship was based on not not entirely upon music, you know what I mean? It's like we. We did that as well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I was not exactly family, but it's like, uh, you know, so I, all I can say is a you know, lost a friend and buddy, you know, that kind of, <laughs> I'll never go camping with Harold again. You know what I mean? These are yeah. things like that open up, open up a whole different sort of, you know, uh, idea about the relationship that, that you have when. You make music with people, it can be very, you know, can be very, you know, intense, but you do that basically because you hang out together. And in the case of Harvard, it's like we, you know, none of us had to compromise. Neither of us had to compromise with the way that we made music, really. Uh because we've got two sort of styles going on there that, you know, were fairly easy to fuse together. Uh, you know, it, but a different thing again, but I don't know, did it make me philosophical? Perhaps it just made me, you know, uh, realising, like, just what you said, that there's uh, more leaves on the ground than there are on the trees, you know, perhaps it's like that, but that's no reason to suddenly jump back and sort of put records out like a bloody teenager. Oh, I'm going to put three out, I'm going to put four out. I don't know. <laughs> that's just maybe just, uh, maybe just because I don't want to be sort of uh uh defined my by, by my my neurosis you know what I mean and I don't want to be you know I have to say it's getting really it's rather irritating to be defined you know to not have anything written about me without the watch a couple which wins in it you know uh that is somewhat you know to be defined by what you did 40 years ago you know that's, that's a bit well, it takes its it takes quite a lot of energy to uh to do that and i and I personally, I don't understand it's like you know there's' I've done an awful lot of things and yeah that that moniker is still there uh, and on one hand, I don't mind it because it opens a few doors on the other hand it is sort of i i worry that you know people think that I hark back that. I would like to relive those glory days and things like that and just like the furthest thing from my mind that was I can tip my hat and say that was that was uh, unavoidable what happened back there it was pretty good then it got pretty shit and do I want to go back don't think that was really something that's on the cards for me uh you know and I mean, there's always, there's always that sort of curiosity. It's like, well, what, what, if we, what if we did or something like that? And then it's like, why? That's like, you know, my life is so radically different. now. Why would I want to put it back into something? It would be all the wrong reasons to do something like that. I genuinely believe that if uh, if we wanted to do something like that, we would do it.
0: Well, I have a theory about that. I'll run by you. I think that people do that. I don't think it has anything to do with you i think it has to do with them frozen in time that your record came out at a pivotal time for them and so when they pigeonhole you
1: they're they're really pigeoning hold them pigeonholing themselves right yeah they're reliving that they're reliving that summer that you know summer they spent at college or something like that yeah you know that kind of thing I, i yeah i do get that but at the same time it's like you know it's a it's a convenient point of reference for some people but it's also i think some people perhaps don't realize that it should be uh quite destructive and negative to sort of like to to, to say oh it's uh robin gusky's doing something yeah wouldn't it be great if uh, it's it, it, it's great but if only this phaser was singing on it and it's just like ah yeah. so it's not so it's not great then so it's not complete it's not like a statement of Me and what I'm all about. It's like something that's missing. And that's just something that I've had to learn to live with. And, uh, you know, it's, I think that it's not specifically Elizabeth and myself. I think it's basically anybody who does music along with any vocalist that they've worked with. Yeah. You know, it's not specifically that. I do believe it's probably always easier for the vocalist because that is where people sort of focus, you know because <laughs> no matter what, what she did, she couldn't get away from that spotlight. I would be sort of like over the air standing out, out the beam on stage, but she always had to be in it. So I guess people have different expectations of a, a, a vocalist or, or they see that the vocalist is the main thing going on. So that's all right.
0: Yeah, but it, it is massively reductive for the artist to be thought of it like that frozen in time. By the journalist or by by the fan it, it it's kind of a it, it is a disservice i think to the artist
1: i would just ask anybody who's considering writing that to consider their own life and what they do before they before you go out and sort of stamp that on somebody yeah you know because it doesn't really listen for me you know uh it makes me care. Oh, actually it does make me just want to, want to not bother putting music out you see I don't need to put this music out this is the other re- reason I came to over the last year I've been looking at the music I've done over the last few years looking at things that I don't know if you noticed on Bandcamp I've been putting out these orphan tracks and that was just an idea because all through the last few years I still write music and I still record music <laughs> it's just that I had no real way to put them out they didn't belong to a project so it's not like I, I could I could be putting out these often tracks for years because you know putting music out or not and in the in the format of like making an album has been my choice over the years you know that's it's not that I have to put out everything I do I don't so it's like I've you know if these things which have not belonged in other projects are you know uh I don't know if they're in any way relevant now it was not actually. They were not planned to be relevant now. They were just me writing music at the time because because that's part of who I am and what I do, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I kind of lost my thread here, but uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. No, no. I was thinking about what you were saying
0: about how you were writing for the medium, like whether it was a, whether it was vinyl or whether it was a CD. Do you find Bandcamp, now that we can put music out the way that you can, has that freed up the creative process in a a way that the other mediums didn't allow?
1: Well, potentially, but I don't think I've really exploited that yet because, you know, previous, you know, with my old school way of thinking, a single is like a, you know, it's a featured track of an album to try and sell some albums. It's like an advert sort of thing. But when I put out the uh, Orphan things, I realised that effectively that's like a single because it just exists in its own right, uh, but it's not really promoting anything. And yeah? so it suddenly, kind of made me think: I've got dozens of songs I could put out like that. <laughs> it's like really dozens of things that I really like in their own right, but they were they didn't actually gel or bond or be part of a, 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 an album project or an EP or something like that. They're perhaps just things that I did because. Uh, because I had the vibe, <laughs> you know, it's just because yeah. I was someone and I sort created something that's just like, you know, they just, you know, that, that I don't, I'm not going to say that I'm not precious about my music because I am, but only up to a certain degree. So it's not like, but just because, I mean, I'd forgotten about half of these songs, you know, because I just move on. Because, you know, when I finish something and finish the mix and get the master and stuff like that, it's like, phew, straight things next, I don't wallow about and sort of listen to it over and over and, you know, you know, it's next, you know, because uh, a part of that hubris that I had when I was young was just that mentality of just next, I can can do this, I'm good at this, right, I can do this, you know, that sort of, you know, uh, believing in myself and my ability to create uh, The type of music that I do, I can live with, believing in myself to to create music that would be acceptable to other people, or perhaps with the uh, with the skill and the talent of other people. No confidence for that whatsoever. So I'll just stick, you know, I'll just be me, you know, and that kind of works. So so yeah, I just make music, I finish things and then forget about them and then move on because one
0: yeah. one can be too meticulous right like like you can almost overdo it with the yeah
1: yeah but one can also not be into the details enough i think my process is quite uh i often i've said to bands when i produce them that producing a band is like making decisions and you start with an infinite palette and as a producer, what I do is I make decisions and then I have less decisions to make. Then I make more decisions. You know, Each time there's a commitment until the very last decision you're making is like, is the vocal loud enough compared to the hi-hat sort of thing? You, you exhaust yourself with all the decisions that you have to make and you become focused into your finished thing. And I think that's that's exactly the way that I do. But make no mistake, I spend an awful lot of time on the details because the details are... That's you know the details are so important so it's not I don't just chuck songs out you know it's just like oh there's one that's finished that'll that'll do no everyone is like it needs to be the best thing I've ever done yeah I I think until until until, until the next thing until the next best thing I've ever done (laughs) exactly right exactly yeah why
0: is it that artists fall in love with the new, the newest thing is always the best
1: thing. Why is that? Because it's fresh in your head. Yeah. It's, you know, and I believe that. I, I, I have long since uh, understood that I, you know, mustn't tell people that they're listening to my music the wrong way because they're like something old. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> you know, it's like, Yeah. It's me making, I'm, I'm making this music if' I'm making this to people so, if you don't like it and you like that old one, then it's your problem. <laughs> no, that's, uh, yeah, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> and that tells you that I actually used to do be a bit more like that. I had this sort of theory back in uh, back in the 80s, you know, when I put out, I don't know, uh, Treasure or Bluebell and, and somebody would say, oh, yeah, it's great, but it's not as good as the one before. And yeah. I seriously sort of brought up the idea of, like, why don't we just delete our records after we've... Uh, after we've after we've released a new one just delete the old ones i thought it was a really good idea nobody can have really went for it but uh yeah i don't actually think that's a bad idea it, you know it's like <laughs> you know if food goes out of date you know <laughs> you know you have to use by, consume by you know just to yeah stop. why not <laughs> that's you know how it works for me anyway well, you know, I do I appreciate that people don't all live in my uh, sort of time sphere that, you know, people that are much younger are coming to my music and looking at the old catalogue and, you know, sort of getting something out of that. So my theory goes a bit out the window there. But, you know, it's, a, it's just another coping skill, you know, just, <laughs> just that. Yeah. I, you know, just t- totally
0: randomly this morning I picked up the Gun club album Miami from my CD collection and put it in my car. Hadn't listened to it in a long time. And when I was researching you, I didn't even realize that you, that wasn't the record you produced, but I didn't realize that you had worked with the gun club. That that was totally new to me. I had no idea <clears throat> I'd done that. Yeah, I did that.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's great. That was I,
0: but you know, I never would have thought that that Jeffrey Lee Pierce and you, I wouldn't have put you together in my brain, but it but sure worked out.
1: But wow, that was were, We connected on a very much a social level uh, when he was living in London, not far from me actually, so we spent an awful lot of time together and uh, worked through that way. And he was really trying to get out of the, he wanted something, he had a vision for his next record uh, that was lifting it away from this sort of rootsy rock sound and elevating it, you know. To like, you know, something different because he felt, I think he always told me he in a bit typecast, sort of, with uh, the things he wanted to explore and other stuff. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it's a good experience. Yeah, that. Be- uh, before I let you go,
0: I have to say I'm distracted by the idea of you and Harold Bud camping together. That sounds like a cool. I, know.
1: <laughs> I, I threw that in there just sort of like, uh, you know, it's, yeah. We did lots of things. I, I introduced Harold to, uh, to different things when he came to Europe a lot, you know, because of the way that I live. Uh, yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I, I I couldn't let that go, Robin. I just, that was a funny image.
1: And to anybody who knows Harold, uh, they will just deny that this could have ever happened, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's like fish out of water, isn't it? If you take Harold outside of Pasadena, then sort of like, there's a whole big world out there, so. Yeah. Yeah, um, so the, actually the last concert I ever played was with Harold in, in Prague, you know, that's, uh, and I stopped doing concerts after that for a while, and then that while uh, was lasted through until now,
0: so. Yeah, that was, was that 2017?
1: No. No, it was earlier than that. I think it was 2013.
0: 2013, yeah. It all blends together at some point. It does.
1: It does. You know, those, those years where I was doing less music, or at least visibly doing less music, uh, they just all rolled roll into one because I was really sort of uh, motivated by doing other things. And really, you know, time passes when you're really occupied and your brain is like, concentrating on something new and exciting. In a way, you know, I mean, as an aside, it's like making uh, the music that I've been making recently is partly, it's a part of the way that it's exciting and new is the fact that I just, you know, pulled my studio out and ripped it all out and just rebuilt it with different things, different guitars, different effects, different fucking everything with the hope of, you know, doing something that sounded like me but different and it doesn't it doesn't matter what i use whether i use a computer a tape machine or uh, analog effect, a digital effect you know this guitar that guitar sounds like me and that's where i'm just i'm coming i'm coming to peace with that because you know it's like i'm yeah i'm fairly at peace with that but it has been a bit frustrating over the years i mean i think that you know as uh, as uninspiring as it sounds you know my sort of Uh, evolution through Cocteau Twins into where I'm now, it's it's been, you know, changing the environment. I was absolutely, you know, uh, I don't know what the word is, not shopaholic, but I just used to buy a huge amount of audio equipment in the eighties and nineties, you know, and just use it and get something great and then sort of forget about it because something new would come out, you know, I was really kind of, you know, uh, just, I don't know, that was just the way that I worked, whereas other people would buy something and you know read the manual and spend years mastering it and getting the best out of it. I was just so frivolous and just, you know, i buy that, just try this, that sounds fucking awesome, I'm going to use that. And you know, it's like, oh, there's this other new thing as well, you know, so I kind of did that quite a lot, changed an awful lot of uh, things, a little shake up in the creative sort of uh, thing. Ever. You know, this is why I could never be a, a guy with an acoustic guitar that writes songs. Well, I'd be like, "What? Just the one guitar? What? Really? <laughs> <laughs> just one? No, no, no." So it's no. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's that's what I do.
0: Enjoyed that conversation, Robin Guthrie. What a nice guy! And uh, you know, camping with Harold Budd would have been a great television series. I would have watched every single episode like nine times. Visit Robin Guthrie at robin.guthrie.bandcamp.com. The Pearl Diving album is there. The Riviera EP is there. The Springtime EP is there. It's all there. Robin Guthrie is on a creative tear. So get on board. See what's happening with him and buy some music. Alex is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me and feel free to follow me on Twitter at Embers editor or on Instagram at Embers podcast, or just email me editor at stereo Embers stereo Embers, the podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use subscribe rate and review, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's how we spread the word these days, rating, reviewing, and of course, Telling all your friends doesn't hurt. Bombshellradio.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with our radio station. I think that's all the businessy stuff I have. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Kino's Chance, taken from Robin Guthrie's Springtime EP. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers the Podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio.